The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. And now we come to a time of uh, everyone uh, opening the scriptures together, and so I hope you'll do that with me. We are opening together to Psalm 125, and we've been making our way through the Psalms of Ascents during this period that the church finds herself in exile, and the Psalms of Ascents are all about the people of God desiring to go to worship God at Jerusalem, and they would use these psalms to sing as they were on their way, or perhaps as they desired to go, or even once they arrived at various points throughout the history of the people of God, they have used these psalms as expressing the desires of their heart to go and worship their God together, and and that's on our hearts as well, so I hope it's it's been very appropriate for you to give consideration and meditation to these psalms. And uh, I said several weeks ago that that maybe only one or two of these are familiar, but I really hope that as we're going through them, that these psalms are becoming something of a prayer of your own heart, words and resources that you can use to encourage yourself during these days. So like I said, we're in Psalm 125, so if you haven't already, turn there with me, whether you've got a hard copy of the scriptures or you've got your Bible on your app, whatever it is, just have your Bible ready. And what we're going to see this morning in Psalm 125 is that in the midst of difficulties and in the midst of trials and in the midst of the reality of living life in a fallen world, we have confidence that we can access That confidence doesn't always come right away, and sometimes it comes through trials and many seasons of difficulty. So we want to see where that confidence really, truly comes from. So if you've got your Bible open, let's pray, and we'll ask God's blessing upon his word, and then we'll hear it together. Oh, Lord God, we pause now and say that we love you, we love your word, We love to worship you. Lord, even though we are not worshiping you in in the way in which we desire, it is good and a delight to our souls to give time together to hear your word, to sit under its authority. Lord, we praise you that your word is inspired, that it is truth, that it never leads us astray. And so I pray, Lord, this morning that in the power of your Holy Spirit, that so moved human authors to record these words for us to reflect your word. May the scriptures rest upon us this morning, giving illumination to our minds that we might understand, to our hearts that we might believe and cling to the truth that you give to us here. And so, Lord, bless now the reading and hearing and preaching of your word, we pray. In the name of Christ our King, we ask it. Amen. And this is the word of God from Psalm 125. The Lord surrounds his people. Hear the word of God. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. 
But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of God abides forever. And so may he write its eternal truth upon our hearts now and later as we consider these words as well. But for now, we are remaining in Psalm 125. And I want you to see this morning, in summary, that this is a psalm of confidence. It's a psalm of confidence that the people of God can access and renew their strength. But that confidence is not oftentimes easily attained. And it is oftentimes seemingly far off and out of our grasp. The person of faith here is described in this psalm as somebody who cannot be moved. Somebody who abides forever. But we don't start there, do we? That doesn't describe us all of the time. Or at least most of us, that doesn't describe us without at least one or two cups of coffee in the morning. But truthfully, this psalm is not speaking in a way to describe us all of the time. This is not necessarily descriptive of all of our experiences all of the time, meaning we're not always like this. Listen to what Eugene Peterson has to say about this psalm. He says it so honestly, and it's very helpful. He says this, The person of faith is described in this psalm as one who cannot be moved but abides forever. But I am moved. I am full of faith one day and empty with doubt the next. I wake up one morning full of vitality, rejoicing in the sun. The next day I am gray and dismal, faltering and moody. Cannot be moved. Nothing could be less true of me. I can be moved by nearly anything. Sadness, joy, success, failure. I'm a thermometer and go up and down with the weather. All the persons of faith I know are sinners, doubters, and uneven performers. And I imagine that you and I can identify with that reality. That's why I think it's helpful for us to see this psalm and see it not as descriptive about us all of the time, because it's just a reality that we don't always live in green pastures and beside still waters at every moment. We have to be led to those places. So this psalm does not describe us, but rather prescribes what will be true of us as we grow in our faith and in our trust in the Lord. So you and I need to grow in these things. We're not who we long to be. We're not who we used to be, but we're also not who we will be. And you and I, as Christian believers, need to grow. And this psalm prescribes for us how it is we might grow through our difficult circumstances to grow in our trust in the Lord. And as I said, we move through those difficult circumstances. And there are, there are obstacles, aren't there? There are obstacles to our faith. There are things that hinder our trust. And the psalmist is looking at those things. He's not denying their reality. He is conscious of them. Conscious of those things that oppose his faith and his trust. Those things that weigh us down. Notice in verse 1 that the psalmist is speaking of not being moved and from that we can imagine that there is the threat of being moved. 
right? There is things around us and about us all the times that are pressing in and pushing upon us that threaten to move us. But the psalmist continues to describe these types of things like in verse 3 when he speaks of the scepter of wickedness. In verse 5, of those who pursue their wicked ways. Verse 5, they're crooked. They're evildoers about us and around our lives. Now, the immediate historical context of this psalm is the captivity of the people of Israel and the foreign nations that overcame the city of Jerusalem. That's especially what it means in verse 3 when it speaks of the land allotted to the righteous. That's speaking of Israel in this sense, being overtaken, of having wicked, non-believing nations overcome the land that God had promised to the righteous, the promised land. But it's the pressure that the people of God are under to turn from the Lord. It's the pressure that the people of God face to trust in idols and to trust in other things besides the one true God in order to appease their captors in this historical sense, but you and I can also apply Psalm 125 broadly across the history of the people of God because Psalm 125 in the difficulties of being moved and trials and temptations and difficulties, it can apply to anything. It applies to your life. It applies to the things that seek to move you off the path of obedience. Those things around us or perhaps people around us, those who do evil and pursue crooked things, or whatever it is that gives you over to anxiety and fear. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what it is that you are afraid of or what it is that instills a sense of panic or anxiety in you. Whatever that is, you can read that reality into the experience of Psalm 125 as someone who feels the pressure of being moved by these things. And this is just a part of our shared human experience, isn't it? You and I experience the reality of living life in a fallen world and we feel these pressures. They're all around us, right? You don't have to look far. It's the pandemic that we're living through right now. Life in a fallen world and disease and corruption that affects us. In our immediate church family, there was several things this past week. Our friend Sandy Benningfield was in a car accident, but thank God she was spared and she's safe and she was just in the hospital for a few hours and we we praise the Lord for that. But it's, it's those things that instill fear and panic and cause shock in us. It's things that break our hearts, not not just car accidents, but also loved ones who pass away. If you haven't already heard, our, our brother Glenn Collison went to be with the Lord this past week. And you were shocked to hear that news just like I was. We remember that the Bible tells us that life is as a vapor and death is a present reality for us that are mere mortals. Our lives are in God's hands. These things show us the reality of life in a fallen world and the pains associated with it. Those two things happened this past week and then Friday night at 10.15 the phone rang and I thought to myself, I don't want to answer that phone call. I can't handle many more things this week. Now, I'm thankful that that it wasn't more bad news per se, but you and I know this feeling in our hearts, don't we? What do we do with it? 
What do we do with this? Because Psalm 125 speaks in verse 1 of those who trust in the Lord. Now the Bible is always calling us, isn't it, to trust in the Lord. This is always the direction of the exhortation the Bible takes. And we know that this is right, but there's often something missing in how we understand the exhortation. There's oftentimes something missing about how it lands upon our ears because we encounter these biblical exhortations, these biblical commands to fear not, don't be anxious, simply trust, have faith. And those are good things to say, but there is a right way and a wrong way to understand them. There is a right way and a wrong way to understand this. And it has to do with what's going on in our hearts. There is something that goes on inside of us. The Bible speaks of the heart as the center of cognition and evaluation and movement in human beings. The heart in the scriptures is like the core processor of our whole being. It's the the point of intersection of all of our emotions. And everything that we express passes through our hearts. And when we hear the command and the call in Psalm 125 verse 1 to trust in the Lord, there's going to be something that happens in your heart. There are two ways to understand the command and how we relate to things like fear not, trust in the Lord. And there's two pictures that we can use to understand them. And uh, many people throughout history have used this same analogy. So this is, this is not originating from me by any means. But the first way to think about the human heart is like a cup. Like a cup, a cup you drink out of. Whether you like coffee or whether you like tea, whatever it is you like in your cup, Chances are you only put one thing in there at a time and then drink it. And when the encouragement comes in our hearts, don't be afraid, don't be anxious. The heart is like a cup, and if it's full of fear or anxiety, it needs to be emptied of those emotions so it can be filled with courage or filled with strength. If we think about the heart like a cup, then it says, empty out the bad and fill it with the good. Now, that's usually the way that people think about these biblical exhortations. Fear not. Empty out your fear and fill it with faith. But I want to suggest to you that that is not the biblical approach. That is not the most faithful depiction of the human heart. Because rather than a cup, it might be more appropriate to think about the human heart like a scale with two sides that balance each other out and weigh against each other to reach a judgment. Our hearts are like the internal court of our soul that weigh reality and make a judgment and produce emotion as a result. So when we hear, don't be afraid or don't be anxious, it shouldn't be taken as a rebuke and it shouldn't be thought of like we should empty our hearts like the cup analogy to mean that we need to empty ourselves of our fear and of our anxiety. We can't do that. We can't not be fearful. We can't not be anxious at times. And instead of thinking of our heart like a cup, when we think of it like a scale, the encouragement to us to trust the Lord is not offered as a replacement. Trust is not offered as a replacement for fear, but rather it is intended to be a counterweight. So that as you have fear on one side, you are called to place trust in the Lord on the other. As in, I know your heart is heavy. I know you're sorrowful. 
I know you're fearful. I know you are weighed down by anxiety and grief. But the word of God comes to us and says this, trust the Lord, not to remove your emotions, but to place them in the larger reality of the context of God's sovereign care over you. So that as you have your fear and your anxiety and your concerns on one hand, you place on the other scale the weight of God's sovereign goodness and his care and his compassion and his love for you. It doesn't remove all of our struggles, but it gives us a precious consolation that helps us to bear the weight of our sorrows and our anxieties. So if it's helpful to you, people of God, think of the heart as a scale rather than a cup so that when we approach Psalm 125 with the exhortation to trust in times of difficulty and we find the scriptures saying those who trust the Lord, we can't be those who are saying, that's not me, I don't trust, I can't trust, I'm overwhelmed, I'm too filled with anxiety. No, no, no. You can place trust next to those fears. And now let's see what the psalm is saying if we think about it that way. It's calling us to trust in the Lord. And trust doesn't simply mean to believe that God exists. In the New Testament, James chapter 2 tells us that even the demons believe that God exists and shudder. It's not enough to simply believe that God exists generally or to believe that just in general sense God is in charge of the world. But to trust in the Lord in the eyes of the psalmist is to respond in faith to the promises of God. That's what it means to trust. To respond in faith to the promises of God that he's given us in his word. It is to believe that God has special concern for you. Even you. The most minute details of your life that you think, how could anybody even care about that? I'm barely mindful of that. And yet the Bible tells us that God cares about the most minute details because that's what he has promised to us in his word. That God works all things, not some things or most things, but all things for good for those who love him. And Jesus says, doesn't he, that the Father is concerned even of the number of hairs on our head. That the Father's sovereign care goes as far as counting and knowing those hairs. The minutest concern for you is what the Father has. And this is the kind of trust that the psalmist is saying to us. He wants us to cultivate trust in God this way. Trust God this way in terms of believing his promises. And when we do that, we are able to put on the other side of the scale when our hearts are fearful and anxious and sorrowful what the psalmist is pointing us to, which is God himself. So let's see exactly what the psalmist is saying here. Here we are reminded of who God is, what God is like, and what God does for his people as they trust in him. Even in the midst of difficulties, we are reminded here this very graphic picture, verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. That's the mountain that the city of Jerusalem is built on. And there are other, in the topography of Israel, there are other hills and mountains that ascend up. And again, that's why these are called the Psalms of Ascents, because it's got an elevated topography as the worshipers would go up to Jerusalem to go and worship God. They ascend the mountain to go and worship. 
And in the ancient days, the high places of Mount Zion was seen as a strong fortress. It's the high ground, the place that's difficult to get to, but then strong once you're inside of. And built on Mount Zion is the glory of Jerusalem, which is immovable and abiding. Now, if you haven't been to Israel, and I haven't been to Israel, I know the topography about it, but I've been other places where there's mountain peaks. And so wherever you've been, and you can think of the elevated mountain peaks or this soaring sense what does it produce in you a sense of awe and wonder and strength and fortitude right these mountains have been here and they are strong and that's the picture that's here i remember driving across the continental divide highway in colorado going up over the peaks up in up those glorious mountains and thinking this is astounding this is beautiful all the strength that rises up around you. And the psalmist is saying to you, to me, that God is like that. That God is like that for his people. And when his people trust in him, they become like this as well. Verse 2 says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. It's this picture of God surrounding his people with his arms and holding them in the strength of his arms. The Bible oftentimes uses the, the wording of God's arms, the strength of God's arms, particularly when speaking about the exodus of Israel being delivered out of Egypt with a strong hand on an outstretched arm. And what that is, talking about God's hands, God, God's arms, those are called anthropomorphisms. And you say, anthropo what? You know, what does that mean? It simply means this, God is a spirit he doesn't have hands, he doesn't have arms per se, but the Bible uses this language to condescend to us and help us understand and gives us pictures and metaphors so that we might grasp what it means that God loves us and cares for us. And it is as like God is surrounding us, keeping us, wrapping us up in his arms. This is anthropomorphic language, but the truth remains that he surrounds us and he holds us and he keeps us. That's quite a picture, isn't it? The embrace of God. And that's something to think about in days when we can't embrace each other as we would like. Now, some of you are huggers. And you're going to be hugging everybody when you get your chance after all of this. Some of you are not huggers and you need to prepare yourself for the amount of hugs that is coming your way and people want to give to you. When it's safe, of course, but you know what I mean. But this picture of embrace now... Now, I have these pictures very tenderly before my eyes very much these days. When our son is upset, he wants to be held. He wants to be comforted. He wants to feel that he's safe and secure. And it's interesting how you and I are just like that before God. We want to feel as if we are being held in the hands of Almighty God. And Psalm 125 is saying, God has his almighty outstretched arms around you and your trust in him is not in vain and he is keeping you there where you're safe where you're watched over and cared for in the face of hostility in the face of wickedness in the face of your pains in the face of your fears in the face of the cancer diagnosis in the face of the bad news that you received in the face of the death of a loved one in your family or in your church congregation in the face of all of these things God keeps you 
That's what the psalmist is saying. That for everything that weighs down our heart on one side, here you have on the other side the loving care of Almighty God there to balance out the scale and give you endurance so that we might be, as the psalmist pictures, those who have immovable confidence in God's covenant love so that our faith moves to assurance rather than doubt that God will never forsake us, not in this life or in the next. And it speaks of that. It speaks of eternity, doesn't it? In verse 1, that we will abide forever at the end of verse 1 and also in verse 2 that God surrounds us from this time forth and forevermore. Why? Because there's nothing, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, there's absolutely nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God's love displayed to us in the gospel is such that death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things past, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, Paul says, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And the psalmist is saying, that's yours. That's mine. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are the people of Zion, the church. And what's ours is, at the end of verse 5, peace. You find the benediction at the end of verse 5. Peace be upon Israel. That's a benediction. It's a final word. We have those in our services, don't we? What are they? Why do I do that? A benediction is the parting blessing. And it's not me as the minister that is giving the benediction, per se. I'm simply the means by which God is blessing his people and giving them a parting word to say to them as you go as you go back into the world in which you are filled with cares and concerns as you go back into the world that breaks your hearts and leaves your hopes wanting again and again you go with my peace upon you you go with my blessing to strengthen you so that you can face all the days knowing that I'm with you And the psalmist blesses the people as God gives his benediction upon them. Peace be upon Israel. That is true for you now, that as we worship God, we go with his blessing. But the benediction is also an anticipatory foretaste of the glory of the benediction that's yet to come. When all of our days will be peace. And there will be no more strife. And so peace be upon Israel is both a present reality now. Peace be upon those who are in Christ Jesus under the grace of the gospel. And peace be yours one day in fullness. And so, people of God, I just want to ask you very simply, is there a word for you here in Psalm 125 today? Do you find your heart needing this truth speaking to you in your fears and your doubts and your anxieties and your concerns and your sorrows, this peace can soothe your troubled conscience and it's like a balm and a healing for the wounds that the sins of the world bring upon you. And God is saying he will bind these up and give us peace and comfort us in his arms that we might be kept as a stronghold. You, dear child of God, are kept in God's everlasting and eternal covenant love, which will never pass away, not today, not tomorrow, and not forever and into eternal life. 
And so may you know that peace and may it secure you today. Amen. And now we're going to sing the psalm together as we believe in God's word. So we sing it together. We're singing it to uh, the tune of I Love Thy Kingdom, Lord. And so I hope you'll sing with us as we sing God's word together. As mountains do surround your walls, Jerusalem, the Lord surrounds his people now and evermore keeps them. The reign of wicked ones will not remain or stand over the place allotted to the righteous and their land. For then the righteous might do evil with their hand. O Lord, do good to those good ones who in uprightness stand. But those who turn aside to crooked evil ways, the Lord will banish with all wrong peace beyond Israel's days. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord God, we ask that in the power of your Spirit that you would rest upon us, believing in Jesus Christ as he has offered to us in the gospel, and so giving to us that peace which the world cannot give, that peace which shall never pass away and indeed surpasses all understanding. And so may we as the people of God be as Mount Zion, unmoved, unforsaken, because we are within the covenant of your grace. And so, Lord, bless your people today. We ask in the power and strength of Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.